Sunshine Drunk and Tony Show. It's the awesome Drunk and Tony Show. It's the Drunk and Tony Show. It's called Afternoon Gap. Is that right? It's the Drunk and Tony Show. It's the awesome Drunk and Tony Show. It's the Drunk and Tony Show. It's called Afternoon Gap. Oh yeah. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the Afternoon Yap. I'm Chuck the Punk, and with me today is my stand-in co-host and author of the book, I'm Not Politically Correct, But I Am PC As a Mother, It's My Good Pal, Mal Pal. Mal Pal, what's up, my old man? Uh, it's having a pretty good day. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be here for the historic 50th episode. Yes, thank you so much for coming down all the way from uh, Dayton. On today's episode, we're going to cover the news of the week in video games, the Fallout series, and finally a review of the new game, Wolfenstein Shadow of the Colossus. Mal Pal, it is the busy video game season. What games are you playing these days? Uh, well, I'm trying to finish up Nier. Um I had heard some really good stuff about the story in that one, so I'm kind of playing through that right now. Um, before that, I'd, I'd uh, finished uh, Wolfenstein, uh, the uh, new Colossus. Uh, that was a great game. And uh, after Nier, I'm not not really sure yet. There's a couple things I haven't played South Park yet. Haven't played. Uh, I haven't played the last couple Assassin's Creeds, but I've heard good things about Origins, so I might take a look at that. Uh, what games are you playing VR? Uh, well, so I have been playing uh, Gorn, which is kind of like an arena fighting, uh, gladiatorial combat sort of game. Um, however, uh, Doom VFR uh, just came out, and I'm real excited to take a look at that. All I right. Haven't, haven't played it yet, but uh, that one just, just dropped. All right. Well, it is the Christmas season officially. I think yesterday was December 1st. My tree's been up for about three weeks. Uh, you are a PC gamer. Am I correct? Oh uh, yeah, primarily PC gamer. And primarily PC gamer your entire life? Um, yeah, for the most part, at least since like I don't know, like teenage years. Uh, before that, mainly just had like Nintendo consoles and stuff like that. Why PC, bud? Um, so I got into um, so my my dad, my family, we've always had PCs. Um, even when I was pretty young, and it was still you know pretty early on. Uh, my dad's a civil engineer, so he he got into using CAD programs very early because it's way easier than using like an old style drafting table and everything. Sure. Um, so we always kind of had them had them around, um, and then I just started getting into uh, some of the um, LucasArts games. So like the the early, um, you know, some of the stuff like Grim Fandango and uh, the Monkey Island series. Um, and then after that, got into like some more of like the like Western style computer RPGs. So stuff like the Fallout series, um, and uh, some some of those. So after that, then going to school, kind of built my own PC. So now it's kind of become a little bit of a hobby, just tinkering with it as well. Yeah. So I've just kind of kept up with that. And anymore, there's not a ton of console exclusives that I get super excited about. Um, I do have a PS4, so I kind of keep up with the PlayStation. Um, but anything anymore that comes out on the Xbox is pretty much always on the PC, so I haven't really kept up with the Xbox uh, side of things. Um, and then Nintendo's just been kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Well, I've ascended a couple of times. I think three times. I think once in 95, uh, again in 2002, and then again sometime in 2010. 
And during those times, I'm always touching base with you. I'm touching base with the PC community. But since it is Christmas time, I thought I would sing a little song that I've written that's kind of about ascending and being part of the PC master race, as they call it. I love love that group. I love associating yourself with something like that. But it is called The Twelve Days of Ascension, Malpow, and I'm going to go ahead and sing it for you on the first day of ascension my PC gave to me. I gotta warm up these pipes. A virus from pornography. On the second day of ascension, my PC gave to me two dumb controls and a virus from pornography. We got nine more days of these. On the third day of ascension, my PC gave to me three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the fourth day of ascension, my PC gave to me four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the fifth day of ascension, my PC gave to me five shitty boards, four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. Six more. On the sixth day of ascension, my PC gave to me six games of delayed, five shitty boards, four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the seventh day of ascension, are any of these ringing true for you, Malpow? My PC gave to me seven necks of bearding, Six games of delayed, <laughs> five shitty boards, four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the eighth day of ascension, my PC gave to me eight pricks of cheating, seven necks of bearding, six games of delayed, five shitty boards. Four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the ninth day of ascension, my PC gave to me nine drivers crashing, eight pricks of cheating, seven necks of bearding, six games of delight, five shitty boards. Four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. On the tenth day of ascension, my PC gave to me ten Nazi references, nine drivers crashing, eight bricks of cheating, seven necks of bearding, six games of delight, five shitty boards, four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography, two more mouthbow. On the eleventh day of ascension, my PC gave to me Eleven pirates banging, ten Nazi references, nine drivers crashing, eight bricks of cheating, seven necks of bearding, six games of delayed, five, five shitty boards, thank you! Four peasants judged, three sore backs, two dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. Last one, on the twelfth day of ascension, my PC gave to me... 
12 Gabins giving, 11 pirates banging, 10 Nazi references, 9 drivers crashing, 8 bricks of cheating, 7 necks of bearding, 6 games of delight, 5 shitty boards, thank you, 4 peasants judged, 3 sore backs, 2 dumb controls, and a virus from pornography. Malpow, I'm awake now. <laughs> How long did that go on for? 5 minutes? Forever. Yes. I was about but three no, in and I was like, oh no, this is too much. L- ladies and gentlemen, this is the sort of dedication you can see. You know, dedication to one's craft. I- I'm I'm impressed. I haven't sang in a long time. At least it wake me up. And everybody else can just sa- skip four minutes past this part and we can start talking about some video games. Bow pow. Are you ready to switch to the news? Are you ready to talk some video game news? I am ready to talk some video game news. A new service lets you hire professional players to play Call of Duty for you. Bidvine lets you hire professional gamers for $20 an hour for various services like helping you rank your characters up, unlock extra features within the game, improve your kill-death ratio, and more. Mappa, what do you think about that? Somebody else playing a video game for you so you don't have to go through the grind yourself. Uh, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, at that point, why play the, like, you're not even really playing the game. There's no sense of progression. I mean, you're not even getting that dopamine hit from those numbers going up because there's somebody else doing it. Yeah. And you wouldn't know, you wouldn't be skilled once you had that weapon. That's right. part of the like, whole game. You got everything, you got game. everything unlocked. You got all the cool stuff. Like everyone's like, oh man, that guy must be a badass. You and then you suck, suck horribly. And then you still suck. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just like calling attention to the fact that you don't know how to play. It's like, wow, that guy's got a, oh, oh, he just, he just walked off a cliff. Like, yeah. Well, he He's got the best gun in the to game. Be able to aim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so twenty bucks an hour. I believe this is uh, only in Europe right now. I don't know if it started, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, here's some free PlayStation Plus games coming this December: uh, Darksiders Two, the Definitive Divi- uh, uh, Definitive. What is it called? Edition. Probably. Edition. Yeah. There it is. Darksiders Two, Kung Fu Can- Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Siberia Collection on PS3, X-Blaze Lost Memories on PS3, uh, Forma.8 on Vita, Wanted Corp on Vita, and Until Dawn Rush of Blood, the VR game for PlayStation 4. Did you play Darksiders or Darksiders 2? Uh, yes, I got into, um, I didn't play, I didn't beat either of them. Um, I think, I don't know if it was PlayStation Plus, you know, game of the month or something, but I played one quite a bit, and then I started to get into two. Um, I liked them. They were good. I just, at the time, I think I had other stuff I was playing and didn't really hook me. Um, but they seemed like, you know, pretty good kind of Zelda exploration kind of style games. So yeah. That was kind of neat. And this interesting de- art, like, uh, design. This definitive edition, I believe is 1080p, 60 frames per second. And it's supposed to look really good. I've still, I don't even know if I, I think I've played a demo of it and it just, it didn't do all that much for me. I hope that they're working on another one, but um, it's free this month on PlayStation as well as Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Xbox games with gold for December this month are free Warhammer End Times on Xbox One, uh, Back to the Future on Xbox One, Child of Eden on Xbox One, Marlo Briggs and the Mask of Death on Xbox One. I don't even know what Warhammer End Times is. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I, I, I'm uh, familiar with, like, the Warhammer, like, IP, yeah, and the, especially the 40K, but, yeah, I don't know that particular one. I think they've – so, for a long time, they were being pretty – like, holding that license pretty close. Yeah. Um, Games Workshop, who owns that, that IP. 
Um, but I feel like in the last couple of years, they've kind of just started giving it out to whoever. So there's like kind of a, a glut of those games right now. So uh, yeah, that one particular one, I don't know. And back to the future, I feel like every single month that there is a free Telltale game that's either free on PlayStation, free on Xbox. And well, and so they they rolled out, they so quickly like ramped up production rate on that. And I think they just had a big round of layoffs where they're maybe starting to kind of pull back on just having so many different properties going at once. I think that they laid off like 30% of their staff. Well, not not only that, not only are they having so many of these games going at once, but they haven't really had a really high-reviewed game in a while. I, I The Batman one, I always see it getting six and sevens. I've uh, heard of that one, and again, I haven't played that one, but I heard it had an interesting take on the Joker. That, that okay. was one of the few ones I've heard recently. Um, that they've been doing even, that sounded interesting to at least see what they're doing with it. But you're, I'm, I mean, I'm not making judgments here, but you might be one of their demographics. I, I know I'm not interested in these kind of story-driven games, but if you're not buying it, then that means these games aren't aren't selling very well. When was the last uh, one that you played? Um, so, let's see. I played Walking Dead the first season. And did um, you really I like liked, it? I liked it quite a bit. Um, and then, um, what was the... Um, the comic one. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, the the fa- it's Fables is the comic, but that's not what it was. The Wolf Among Us. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, M and I uh, played that together, played like the first season of that together. And it was, it was pretty good. Part of the thing with them is, and I think they're a good, like episodic story driven gaming. They do pretty well. But I almost rather wait until there's a season and play it. Yeah. Kind of like binging on a TV show. Instead of playing one chapter. It's just, it doesn't seem like enough. And then by the time the next one's out, like, you know, my attention's gone elsewhere. You, you can burn through those chapters in what, two hour, an hour or so? Are they? Are yeah, it, it depends. Some of them are a little longer. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty short um, window there. And I've got enough, enough other games kind of lined up. You know, I don't have as much time to play as I used to. Um, is, is getting, you know, getting older and everything. So it's harder to like, be like, oh yeah, I'm still totally waiting to see what happens in this next one, you know, in another two months or three months. Okay. Uh, Kellogg's is making a Super Mario Odyssey cereal with select Amiibo sticker boxes. Boxes. Nintendo has confirmed its partnership with Kellogg's as well, revealing that the cereal will be available as early as December 11th. The cereal's boxes confirmed Amiibo functionality will allow players to tap the limited edition box on their Nintendo Switch and receive gold coins or a heart in Super Mario Odyssey. So there is a Super Mario cereal coming this month, and it's got little laminated barcodes on it so you can use it kind of like your Amiibos. Wow. <laughs> you don't want Super Mario cereal? Uh, no, I'm not a big cereal eater. Uh-huh. I haven't. So I think you've picked up a couple of Amiibos, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, I have uh, Link, and I have Zelda, and then I have whatever their, whatever the Wolf was, Midna, Midna from uh, oh, Twilight, yeah. Princess, yeah, Twilight Princess. Because I got it free when it came with uh, the Twilight Princess um, remake that came out a couple years ago. So I, I have a couple. Yeah. They're they're all they're whatever. Uh, I would. I do you actually use them, or is it more of just like an art piece kind of? Um, the one had a cool function. I, I can't remember which character. I think it was Princess Zelda where you could tap it on the um, Wii U screen and it would give you all your hearts back. But I was playing it on Twilight Princess, which is probably the easiest Zelda that they ever made. So it wasn't all that necessary. I mean, it's neat. I, I know that some of them can change outfits and stuff. There's a ton of use um, 
pretty much every single uh, amiibo works in um, Super Mario Maker to change them into that character. So oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. I can see how that one would be so the that one one's that would really neat. have a lot of functionality. But like uh, buying a Zelda one to unlock an outfit or something like that just doesn't, ha- you know, there's not much functionality with it. But I think with the with Super Mario Maker, that's a pretty neat mechanic. Yeah, cool. Um, Doom VFR, which you were talking about, yep, uh, will include playable virtual reality versions of two classic Doom maps. Toxic Refinery and Nuclear Plant will both be available to play in all their low-res glory, with everything in the environment, walls, objects, and so on, looking exactly like they did over two decades ago, while the enemies you fight are ripped from last year's game. That sounds amazing. That I, does sound I would cool. rather I would rather it be the enemies from the original Doom, but whatever. I would be in heaven. That might be... So, with the, you know, 3D, you know, stereoscopic vision with, the, uh, with uh, virtual reality... I don't know if like the flat sprites would work. Yeah, they, they sure uh, would. I mean, I looked. I played some. That'd really... be interesting. It'd be cool if they had that as an option, just to uh-huh. see what it would look like. Well, you can play those two levels. So I, I think it's for available for download. But I would be in heaven going back. Yeah, and playing I'll definitely. Doom one. I'm definitely yeah. two levels in VR. I'm definitely picking up Doom VFR. So I will take a look at that, and we'll have to try them out. Um, an X-Files game is coming to mobile platforms early next year to coincide with the release of season 11 of the television series. Officially licensed and developed by Creative Mobile and Fox Next Games, the X-Files Deep State will see players assume the role of special agent of the FBI. Players will investigate crime scenes, uncover clues, collect evidence, and solve puzzles to uncover the truth behind paranormal events. What did I say? That this was an iPhone game? So not very exciting. Did you watch the last season of X-Files? I got, I think, about three quarters of the way through it and haven't finished it yet. Um, I liked it. It wasn't bad. Um... It just, it felt kind of unnecessary. Yeah, and it's cool that they're bringing some things like that back. I haven't watched the new season of uh, Twin Peaks yet. I'm a yeah. little more interested in that because I that heard got that. good reviews, though, right? Yeah, that got really good reviews, and that was one that they in the original show they kind of set up the idea of coming back to it. You know, 20 years later. Um, but yeah. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of X Files, like the the original yeah. run of it. Um, I'm trying to remember if I ever played. What were there? I'm sure there were. There was licensed, a PlayStation Two yeah. X Files game. I never played. I don't it, know but if I, I remember I don't that you think could I ever it. played it. Uh huh. But I remember that being a. Or thing. maybe there was a PlayStation One X Files game. I can't remember. It would but probably I know be PS One era. One or two yeah. licenses. It'd probably be PS One era. <clears throat> um, after Epic Games sued. Two Fortnite players for cheating. It has been revealed that one of the accused cheater is a minor who's 14 years old. Instead of going after the websites providing the software to cheat, the mother claims that by targeting individual players, the publisher is using a 14-year-old child as a scapegoat. She also claims her son didn't help create the software for cheating, as Epic alleges, but instead just downloaded it as a user. Well, first off, the kid's 14 years old. Second off, he knew he was cheating, but third off, he probably didn't he didn't realize that the ramifications would be that bad. Have you heard this story yet? So Sorry, I, I, I hadn't really you. heard about this, but like I, I think when you're gonna I think like that's a sort of situation where you know, it doesn't look like the kid was the one writing the code. No, it's he, just something he downloaded. Yeah, something so ban him. You know, give so him a lifetime ban from the game, you know? Well, yeah, if you're going to go to the extent of lawsuits, like really actual legal action, 
you know, go after the person who's writing the code, distributing the code. The people who are using it should rightfully be banned, you know, or, or even if you want to go the next step, even like if it's on, whether it's running on Steam or it's running on, um, you know, uh, Windows Live or Xbox Live or whatever group, like ban them from that entire thing. If you want to get really hardcore about it or whatever Ubisoft's uh, um, in origin with uh, EA, like say, you know what, if you if you do this, you're banned from all multiplayer on our platform. Yeah. Like that's to me the next level if you really want to get tough about it. Suing but suing them. somebody that that just doesn't seem like it's a good use of anyone's time like that's like one of those kind of you know the lawyers are the only ones who win sort of situation it's bad publicity for epic too and they're this these are the guys Fortnite. this is the game that just came out with the free battle royale and had the fight with pubg about you know uh, is battle royale their game or is it Fortnite's game and, and now they're suing a 14-year-old kid for using cheating software. First off, I hate cheaters in in, in any, con- you know, on, on PC, on console, but suing a 14-year-old kid, bad publicity. Uh, or or anyone. Like, I think whether he's 14 or 30, it's suing them just for using cheating software. Like, that that doesn't seem like it's it's a good use of time. It's a video game. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, it, it is it is going to impact the enjoyment of everyone else playing. Sure. Like, I, 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 I'm strongly for them banning him from the game for life you know if you again if you want to step it up ban it from the whole service ban him from multiplayer on the service yeah but like going to the next step of like lawsuit and all of that i just can't imagine that that's going to offer any return on their investment like from a business standpoint and like you said from a pr standpoint it looks terrible such a headache for that poor mother you know she's just got some dumb 14 year old kid that was you know playing around using a cheating software now she's got to deal with a lawsuit yeah i mean it's It's kind of sort of similar to like the idea of like the mpa mpaa or whoever suing people who are torning a movie or something like that like i understand trying to go after the person who uploaded the movie in the first place or, or ripped it or, you know, I, I can understand why you would go after sites that are posting all those links or whatever. But going after the individual person, like, you're not... It's going to be really hard to prove from, like, an evidence standpoint. And even if you win, like, it's just the, the amount of goodwill you're losing with your audience just seems like it outweighs whatever benefit of, oh, yeah, we really scared that 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, that kid will never have a good job in his life. Like, yeah, what, yeah. like what that... Yeah, yeah. We're going to garnish the shit out of his wages, uh-huh. you know, mowing lawns. Like, Yeah. Uh, loot boxes whose contents rely on chance don't meet the UK's criteria for unlawful gambling. According to the UK Gambling Commission, since the prizes unlocked in loot boxes are usable only in the games in which they're won and can't be cashed out, they don't fill the bill for licensable gambling activity. I love that we're discussing this. I love that. It tells you, it tells you how badly they screwed up that that <laughs> discussion's being had. Yeah. Because that discussion, like, that could have gone the other way and, like, completely screwed over uh, an entire business model. We were talking about this last night. I mean, they've been putting microtransaction in FIFA for years and making tons of money, boatloads of money, but you don't yeah. mess with Star Wars. <laughs> you know? Well, you and it's just, yeah, especially the month before the next big Star Wars movie comes out. I mean, that's just, like... Uh, it does not surprise me in the slightest that Disney just went in and just like, hey, what are you people what doing? What are you doing? What are you we are screwing with? You. Yeah. yeah, we are one. You know, do you want to ever make another game using any of the IP we own again? Because we own almost all the IP. Now. I, I, I can't imagine they're going to get to make three. I cannot like, imagine that. Unless you want to never have... be able to make a Star Wars or Marvel 
game I, I, ever. <laughs> I cannot. I, I there's no. Way, they will support it uh, throughout the end of. But I can't. I can't imagine that they'll be allowed to make a Battlefront three. I, after, I mean, I don't the, think at this point, like they need to. They would need to radically change the way that they're even setting that up to to make anyone want to buy it. Yeah. Because like separate from just the general crappiness of blind loot boxes and the potential, you know, ethical and especially legal challenges that that could come with like and we were talking about this a little last night it's just not a good setup no, like the it, progression system the terrible. progression's terrible the way they have it even if you didn't have the loot box aspect of it it's it's not you know from what you were saying it, it doesn't look good it's hard to understand it's hard to track even when you're you know someone who's played you know you've been playing call of duty and stuff for years like it's not like this is a problem that nobody else has solved before yeah well the the, the thing is is the loot boxes are like one in 50 that they're going to give you something good. So I think, I mean, it's my theory that this is, they're kind of targeting the 1%, the, the, the person that has tons of, tons of indispensable or dispensable income that they can spend a, a couple grand on this and then get everything unlocked. And if they do that for, you know, 20 people or something like that, they've made, you know, they've made a bunch of money on top of the game. But I think that they said that the Battlefront 2, their like first week sales were down 30% or something like that from the uh, first I mean, one. It, it was a, it was a tremendous, I mean, the first one was pretty cool. Part of it, part of why I think the first one was really well liked is there hadn't been a good Star Wars game out for yeah. a long time. Yeah. So it was just cool to, to see that world you know, to play in that world, to fire the gun and like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how it sounded in the movie. Like they did a really and I feel bad for the for the development team because these people clearly are big Star Wars fans and put yeah. a lot of time and effort into really capturing that feel of it. And then to have it just bomb because of, you know, the micro microtransaction design and, and the things that, you know, they were probably forced have been to put avoided, in there. But yeah. were implemented from day one. And the, the progression system completely relies around it. And you know there's people on that team who are just like, I told them. Yeah. Like, I told yeah. them that this was a mess. Yeah. Like, this was – that nobody – it's so bad that there's no way that there weren't a lot of people involved who were like, this is a this is a t complete disaster, yeah. the way that this is going to be rolling out. And I just I, – I had this, like, feeling in the back of my head. I was like, listen, um, especially after uh, Battlefield 1 came out, and it was a really good package – it had a decent campaign to it. It had a decent multiplayer suite. And I was like, great. They're going to learn their lessons from Battlefront 1. And we're going to get a really good Battlefront 2. And it just came out. And those first 10 matches, I was like, man, this is frustrating and convoluted and just messy. It looks like an like an iOS game with the amount of different things that you can unlock. I mean, we're going into a tangent. It's just... I think I think it's just hilarious that they put this game out and now there are discussions all over the board and microtransactions are kind of in limbo right now just because of EA being this greedy. Yeah, and it's it's completely a self-inflicted thing. Uh -huh. Like they could have kept it. And you see like there are other companies that you know, if you've got a free-to-play model or I especially don't like it, like cosmetic items, which sounds like such a minor thing. Now, it sounds like they may have been a little constrained on what they could do because it was the Star Wars license, but there had to be a better way than than what they came up with. I, they they really they really needed to work on that more. So, but yeah, so do they get to make another one? I hope it, I hopefully they don't it's not, you know, another year or two and they put out another one cuz now it's you know, really run down 
you know, it's kind of overload on Star Wars games, or it looks like we're going into that. So, I don't know. They need to step back and really take a look at how they're doing that, if they're given the opportunity. I their, don't know. Their stock went down like 8 bucks a share or something like that, right? And Which was the equivalent of a couple billion or something credible, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's a lot of... <laughs> when it when you're talking about a company that large with the amount of shares out there, yeah, that's that's a lot of money just to disappear because... Oh, we completely, you know, screwed up this launch. And I and I loved. And it's nuts that and I, you know, I guess time will tell, or we'll probably never know. But they'll know whether or not it was the right call to like pull that stuff at the last minute. Uh-huh. But it's kind of crazy that, you know, let like less than a day, you know, within almost a matter of hours from launch, they're like, you know, pull the plug. Yeah. You know, throw. Oh my God! Suddenly, throw the switch. We gotta. They know that the core demographic of video gamers is like twenty-five to forty, right? So when, when well, they, and that get, that gets into it too, where like now you're, you know, from a legal perspective, politicians, especially older politicians, still look at games as like a kid thing. So to throw more light on the fact that there's aspects of this that could be looked like at like gambling, yeah, like now it's like you're encouraging gambling in children. Like, oh man, that's, you know, that's exactly the kind of like red meat that a politician would love to chew on, you know. And, and I, I'm only bringing that up because it was funny because 24 hours before shit completely hit the fan, EA was still making, they were still up on their high horse talking down to like the video game community. Like that comment. Oh yeah, that was that, that comment, was so tone deaf the way that they handled that, like that Reddit, the most downvoted comment on Reddit. I ever. mean, th- that is like talking to a, a, a 10 year old, you know, and, and they're, and they're saying, and they put that out there for everybody to read. And you read that and you go, we're we're the we're your customers. We're the one that are going to give you I mean, sixty the, bucks. We're the ones that are keeping you afloat, and that's how you're going to talk to us. I mean, there's there's something to be said for just keeping your mouth shut sometimes when it comes to stuff like that. Some companies kind of under communicate, but I think it's better to err on that side than something like that. Or you get some idiot employee like shooting their mouth out off on Twitter or something, just like you know what was the big the last one was kind of uh, when the uh, um, Xbox One launched, and they Deal were originally it. looking at the like only online and uh-huh. DRM, and somebody just shot their mouth on it. like, who doesn't have inter- you know constant internet? Like, come on, get with the times, or or you know, and it's just like, dude, like that's there's no good look from that. Remember when Duke Nukem came you, out? You know, it's a like, well, you might be right, but you're still an asshole. Do you like, remember when yeah. Duke Nukem came out and one of the developers started talking all kinds of shit to the to the people that were uh, giving well, him bad reviews? That guy got fired like the next day. Yeah, that. <laughs> People are so dumb. They they don't realize you can't do that. Deal with it. I still love that yeah. quote. Yes. And that's the yeah, EA. that's right. That was the deal with the quote. Yeah, that's oh, that's the God. EA mentality, and that's what they. That was what that comment meant when he wrote it down. When he said, you know, we want our players to have this sense of and like, no, you don't. We're we're not stupid. We can read through the lines. Yeah, I mean, either either be honest about it or just don't say anything. Yeah. Like they could have not responded, and it would have been a better response. Um, let's move anyway, on. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Pokemon Company has revealed that Pokemon games have accumulated lifetime sales of over three hundred million copies. This total incorporates seventy-six titles over the series' twenty-one year history, as well as the main series of core games. The figure also includes ancillary titles like the Poke Park series or Pokemon Conquest, factoring in both physical and download sales. Have you ever played? 
any Pokemon. I've before. never really been a Pokemon Pokemon guy. The show cracked um, me up when I was in high school. I, I, I went have to, the to movie say, with my one. So I don't know game. if it's from a. It, I think it's from a game. The only thing that I've ever seen was the, uh, like Detective Pikachu thing. Yeah, and I've never played That's it or looked yet. at it. But I, I think they're still developing. Is that. it still developing? Yeah, I saw that and I'm like, I can almost get into that because it's uh-huh. so ridiculous. Uh-huh. And he has like a like. You know, magnifying like, glass. Like, yeah, and, and he's got he, like, like the, searches for clues. He's got like stuff. a normal like like detective voice. Like it's not you know. <laughs> it's Pikachu's not Pika. Voice. Yeah. It's oh not, no! No, I don't it's, it's, play it's not just like going Pika, Pika, Pika. Yeah, it's not. Every line is not just Pika. Uh, but yeah, so, but yeah, I never really got super into those. Um, my wife likes that series. Yeah. And she was when Pokemon Go came out, she was big on that. Like, yeah. We'd, you know, go hiking or walk around the mall or whatever, like specifically to hit all the Pokestops uh-huh. and all that stuff. I wonder what it is. I, I would never discredit it because you don't sell 300 million of something if it's not great. Well, so but I wonder what it is. So they haven't really. And again, this is I, I haven't played them a lot, so I'm not sure about this. So correct me if you know more than I do on this one. But it seems like they've they've put out a lot of like alternative versions of those games but like i don't think there's ever been the big jump there's been no there's not like a mario 64 for uh, yeah. pokemon why isn't there it like, seems uh, like they're they haven't really like evolved that gameplay at all i would try it if there was a legitimate pokemon on the nintendo switch that I was think that's a huge opportunity a triple a and it, because they always put them on their other portable devices you know the game boy color the the 3ds and they split them up into two different copies, and it's it, it always it always kind of looks like a like an offshoot, or you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it, I mean, it's it, always like, and I, again, I don't, I haven't played them, so I don't know. Maybe there is more difference, but it's always just like, is that just a palette swap? Like, yeah. is that this is the red version, this is yeah. the moon version or lunar version or whatever? Like, but I, I don't know. And again, I, I haven't played a lot of them, so I don't, I can't maybe opine too much on this but it just seems like they haven't had their big oh man look what they've done with pokemon now yeah. um hellblade senua's sacrifice has sold 500,000 copies turning a profit only three months after its launch hellblade was developed over three years with a team size of 20 and launched solely on digital platforms due to the nature of its development ninja theory predicted to break even six months after launch but has managed that in half the time. Did you play uh, Hellblade? So I haven't yet. It's definitely on the list, and it's one I want to play with my wife. Yeah. Um, she's a therapist, so I want to get her opinion on its depiction of mental health. I've yeah. heard that that's kind of the the real interesting thing about that, that they actually did some research and took some time uh, into making that accurate. So I'm very curious on that aspect. Of here's it. some advice to you, and here's some advice to anybody that's going to play it. Just stick through it, because the, the gameplay mechanics of it aren't really all that great. But it's the presentation and it's the story that are really, really good. But they they try to shoehorn a lot of stuff into it to make it into a video game that's not all that great. I would almost rather it be condensed into an hour and a half movie and it was a walking uh, simulator. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the environments look great. The, the, the voices that are talking in your head, I played it on headphones. The sound design is absolutely fantastic, but the gameplay really bogs it down. So when you do start it, keep that in mind. Just when you get to a part and you're walking around for 20 minutes and you're going, what do I do? What do I do? And you have to pick up a guide. Just just keep telling yourself, just just keep pushing through because it is worth it. And uh, it's, it's a really rewarding game. I really liked it. But um, like I said, you can't spell, sell an hour and a half walking simulator for, te- for 20 bucks, but... Great game. Um, 
Hawaii State Representative Chris Lee is taking a stand against what he calls the spread of predatory practices in online gaming, as mentioned in an announcement specifically about EA and Star Wars Battlefront 2. Lee and others are currently looking at legislation in the upcoming year that could prohibit the sale of games to players that are under 121 years of age and possibly even restrict the inclusion of gambling elements, which Lee believes are present in the Star Wars Battlefront 2 via the game's loot boxes. So we just touched upon this yeah. very heavily. But that's another, what did they say? It was a senator or something like that, uh, state representative that is yeah. also calling out on it. So it, it is. It's it's predatory. It's, it's multiple different. It's multiple, uh, multiple governments now and organizations that have basically said, like, we're, we're looking into this now. I, so I, I think they I put, should. They need to. The, the games industry as a whole needs to, like, come up with a plan, kind of like how they did the rating system. They, you know, they need to get ahead of this. Otherwise, it's going to end up getting legislated and then they're going to have to deal with the consequences. Well, I put this in here because it reminds me of like iOS has been getting away from it, away, away with it for like a decade. Because you put a game into a kid's hands and your credit card is tied to it. They can rack up $3,000. Now, if you contact them, they'll give you your money back because, hey, you know, um, what are they losing on the end? That little kid's going to get to play a game. But for all those people that don't contact them or have that money, that's just all this free money. And how predatory is that? You have to put your credit card into a phone or an iPad, and then you give it to your kid, and it's so easy for them. And it's it's predatory because it's disguised as crystals, and then you buy the crystals or you buy whatever it is that's actual real money. It's, it's the same thing as casinos. That's why it's chips and not cash. Yeah. I mean, it's it's easier to lose track of how much you're spending when you put another uh you know buffer in between you know the the money in your bank account and what it is you're spending in the game um and last story uh badland games is donating 75 percent of its shares of sales of axiom verge to a special fund dedicated to the ongoing healthcare costs of tom hap's son alistair badland offered to donate the lion's share to a fund for Alistair's ongoing healthcare costs after Hap settled on them as a publisher. They decided not to publicize the decision as neither Badland nor Hap wanted to be seen as using Alistair's suffering as a marketing tool. And I believe it came out because this this father wanted it to come out. But did you play Axiom Verge? Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I'd heard good things about it, but uh, it's another one kind of on the wish list I just haven't gotten to yet. Pretty awesome. So the publisher is donating 75% of the share of sales uh, to... Uh, a fund for the developer's kid who I, I don't know what um, what he has but um, pretty great pretty great story uh, let's take a quick break for commercials and we will be right back sounds good Mal pal I don't know about you but boy do I hate getting into arguments they're just the worst, man, and the worst thing about getting into an argument is, what does it ever solve? Nothing. You get into a fight with your wife, you hurt her feelings, and I always know that it always happens right before bed. You know, like, you're, you get into an argument, you're tired, you're cranky, you just want to go to sleep, and if your wife is anything like mine, she always says to me, hey, we're not going to bed angry. We're going to stick this through, and you go, oh... Great, now we're just going to keep yelling at each other for the next three hours. The good people at More Implications, they don't want you to argue either. They have developed a great product. It's an app. It's called the Fuss Buster. Now, what the Fuss Buster does is keep it in your pocket, you keep it turned on, and if it ever senses an argument, 
if it senses it in your pocket, if it senses in your hand, uh, an ear piercing, annoying sound is just going to go off over and over and over. And no matter what you do, it will not stop until you stop arguing. It's perfect, man. It, you can't throw it against the wall. You can't turn it off. It just keeps going and going and going. So you got to stop arguing and bada bing, bada boom. The product is going to get you to stop arguing. What do you think about this product now? That sounds like an amazing product. I mean, that's always the worst when you start to get into an argument with your wife or a friend and you know each other well enough. You just keep pushing buttons. I, I think that's a really great idea. The one thing. So Fussbuster. Yeah. Have you thought about maybe changing the name? What's wrong with the name? Uh, I mean, it just, it, it lacks a little pizzazz. Have you, you know. You lack pizzazz. I cannot hey. believe that I would have you into my house and we're promoting the good people at more applications. And you'd come into my home and tell me that the Fussbuster lacks pizzazz in name. What? How well, dare you? you? Just, okay. How dare you? You just spent, and you did an entire bit mocking my hobby of PC Listen, ownership. I know that the 12 days of Ascension was bad. We were up to eight days, and it was totally bombing. And I still went through it because the good people of Morpications, they pay me. And you come into my house, and you have the oh, nerve please. to talk bad about the Fussbuster? What is I, the matter I spent all this time driving this way, all this way. What the heck? What is Mr. No, you, this is the fuss buster. Are you kidding me? That's no, that's it's the just saying, Did I do that over and really? over? What is the matter with you? God, that's even this worse so than a car alarm. Did I do that? This is stop it, phone. Oh, wait a right. second. Wait, wait a second. We just gotta lower our voices. Okay, okay. Ten deep breaths. Ten deep breaths. Deep breaths. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh, thank God. That's the fuss buster. That's how it works, man. Me and you got heated. The fuss buster goes off. Yeah, it's nine ninety nine per month. It stops arguments dead in its tracks, and it makes the most ear piercing, annoying sound ever. You can download it right now off the store. And don't you ever talk bad about the moral implications? Don't you ever talk bad about the fuss buster? And we will be right back. Hello and welcome back to Afternoon Yap. Uh, for our middle segment, I want to talk about the Fallout series. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure that this is your favorite series of all time. Am I incorrect on this statement? No, I, I would say that it probably is my all-time favorite video game series. I want to go through the, the core games uh, in the series. So let's start off with, uh, with Fallout 1. Yep. Fallout 1 was developed by Black Isle Studios and published by Interplay in 1997. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic Southern California, uh, beginning in the year 2161. The atmosphere and artwork are reminiscent of post-World War II America and the nuclear paranoia that was widespread at that time. How, how did you play this first game? Did you play it right in 97 when it came out? Uh, take me back. When, when yeah, did you so play within this? A, I don't know if I played it like directly when it came out, but definitely within a couple of years. So this would have been like back in uh, high school. Um I just immediately fell in love with it. That was when I was starting to transition from playing like some of the more the LucasArts stuff and getting into more like computer, like Western style computer RPGs. Um, and I just absolutely loved that game, played that one, played the sequel. And then I was incredibly pumped when they brought the series back uh, when, when uh, Bethesda started to make them. Um, what do you remember from Fallout 1? So um, it was one of the first games I played that was that style that RPG style that wasn't a fantasy game 
um, that had that, you know, a big fan of like the Mad Max movies and just, you know, post apocalyptic um, fiction and uh, and film. And to have that be, you know, it was a very different setting versus like a lot of the traditional more, you know, swords and sorcery sort of sort of games. Um, so that was a big part of it. Uh, the first one was a little more straightforward. The second one started bringing in more like pop culture references. Yeah. Um, but just the stories are really good. There's a lot of, and it was kind of almost ahead of its time where you, you have series now like Dragon Age and Mass Effect where, you know, you have your consequences of the things you do in earlier games carry through at least to a certain extent. Um, so they didn't really, the tech wasn't there to do that at that point, but they had things where you would have a quest. One of the first things you you come across in Fallout 1 is Shady Sands, which is like a small village. And you, you know, you get a quest to go save the daughter of, of the guy who's kind of in charge of the place. Seems like a, you know, inconsequential sort of quest. But that character ends up showing up as like a founder of the NCR in Fallout 2. And, you know, NCR continues to be a factor like going into the later games too, like, uh, in, uh, you know, there were a major faction in, uh, new Vegas. So, you know, it's neat to see how they have that stuff tied through. Um, same thing in fallout three, you've got Harold shows up at Oasis, uh, who is a ghoul character that you meet in fallout one. He's present in fallout two as well. And then, you know, now you see him, you know, a long time later in uh, fallout three. So it's just, it's interesting how they had those arcs built in and, you know, they had a good grasp on telling stories in that setting. Uh, Fallout 1 was released in 97, then Fallout 2 would be released in 98. Uh, Fallout 2 takes place 80 years after the first Fallout. Like you said, there's more pop culture jokes and parodies. Which one's the better one out of the out of the first two? Now, is it just the second one because they built upon the, the, the great game that they had a year prior? Or which, which, one, of, which one of those two games did, were you most fond of? Probably two. Um, they're both really good. Like, it's hard for me to even give a ranking of these games. Um, not just one and two, but the whole series. Yeah. Because I really am just a, a super fan of all of them. Um, I would say probably two I enjoyed a little bit more. It had a little broader, um, I'll say, range of the places you visit and everything like that. Which, you know, the earlier games were all isometric view. So third yeah. person isometric view. Um, which is where kind of, you know, the tactical stuff would go. And then they had an, a cool overworld map where, you know, it was fog of war. So you're slowly exploring more of this, you know, desert landscape and finding all these locations and you could run into random encounters and everything. So both of the first two games had that, but I think in the second one, it, it added a little broader feel to that as you started to have, like in the first one, you know, it's small villages and, and junk towns and stuff like that. And then in the second one, you get to like now there's some more settled areas like San Francisco and, and uh, you know, mining towns and things like that. So it's just, you know, two maybe has a little bit broader stuff to go explore, but they're both really good games. And they were so close together, like from a technical perspective, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of difference. Yeah. You know, they, they were it wasn't like a big change in the graphics or the general gameplay. So fast forward 10 years later, um, Bethesda. They, they took a step back uh, after they had made uh, Skyrim. Or maybe this was right during the time that they were making – I'm sorry. Um, what's the – Oblivion. Oblivion. Yeah. And they said, what other, what other kind of series would we like to tackle? And all the developers said, we want to play Fallout. We want to make Fallout. 
I don't think that I would have played Fallout 3 if it weren't for Oblivion. And I only played Oblivion, and the funny story about it was is I had no interest in playing the game, but I had a PlayStation 3 at the time. This was back in 2007, and I remember that summer nothing came out. Uh, The Darkness came out, which was a good game, but it was like a full three months of no video games, and Skyrim got ported to PlayStation 4, and it was getting all these great reviews. They said that it was a step up from the PC, and I was like, what the hell? I'll try it. And I bought that game, and I, I don't know, I played about three or four hours. You know, it, was, it seemed pretty interesting. This was my first Elder Scroll game. And then everything just, like, clicked. The whole, the complete freedom. The, the, the taking RPG aspects and fleshing them out in every capacity that you could possibly think. I'd love, I still am in love with that idea of dropping you into a world and saying, you want to play the campaign? Be my guest. If you want to go join some club and do quests there, be my guest. You can spend hundreds of hours in these games not playing the main storyline, and you can play them however you want to. So I ended up absolutely loving... Um, why do I always forget what the damn name is? Oblivion? Oblivion! Yeah. <laughs> So I had heard that they were making Fallout. I had I I know because I've been buddies with you since I was a young kid. I knew about Fallout. I knew it was an isometric game. I knew it took place in this post-apocalyptic world, and I knew about the dark humor. I, other than that, I didn't know anything. I got that game day one, and I remember I still remember the day that that game came out because I got several pictures of you with the the huge map that you unfolded, and it was the. Wasteland. It was the DC Wasteland. And you took pictures because you were so excited. And I mean, I I don't know because I did not play the first two, but I have to imagine they took everything that you loved about the first two fallouts and they made it their own. They, They made it a Bethesda game. They made it this open world adventure, but they still kept that kind of flavor and that flair. And what resulted was probably in my top, uh, one or two games of last, um, the last console generation. I mean, just a game that I played, I don't know, a hundred hours of, I ended up buying all the DC and all, or DLC and playing all the DLC. Um, so developed by Bethesda game studios and released in October, 20, 2008. It takes place 30 years after the events of fallout two in Washington, DC. You are the lone wanderer on a search to find his father. Um, so first and foremost, what was the combat like in Fallout One and Two? Was it so, turn-based? Yeah. So the in the first two, it was mainly like a turn-based combat. So it was uh, you kind of would go out of. Um, Did you have a party? You would go out of turn, you? like if you were just going around a village talking to someone. But like once you got into combat, it went into turn-based. You did have um, you did have companions like uh-huh. the later games um, that you could basically have uh, preset kind of, okay, I want you to get in close and attack. I want you to stand, you know, stay off at range and snipe these guys. Like, you had some control over how they played, but not direct control over them. Um, and, you know, the the companions themselves, it was, and this is kind of funny, because people talk about the later ones, and they're like, oh, it's Bethesda, it's all these glitchy, you know, they tend to release and have lots of bugs and weird open-world jankiness. Um you had a little about about people kind of forget that in one and two or, or gloss over the fact that, you know, you would also have the occasional time when, you know, Cassidy would shotgun you in the back, you know, cause he'd be trying to hit somebody and, and you know, the, the dice rolling behind the scene rolled badly. 
So, you know, some of that was it was always there, um, even in the first two. But yeah, I mean, it, it was really a different feel. I like how they, you know, and I know people are kind of divided on whether they like Vats or not in uh, the later games. I actually kind of like it because it kind of goes back to that feel a little bit more. I loved, I loved that. So Vats, where you could zoom in on a character, on an enemy, and you could take out different areas in order to cripple them. So you could shoot them in the legs. Uh, you could shoot them in the arms so they wouldn't be able to fire at you. But I always just spent my time trying to hit them in the head, though. But there's a smaller chance of, of actually hitting them because there's percentage rates all over their body parts. Yeah, so I mean, it it kind of looks at it that way. It, it's it's really interesting because it it they intentionally surface a lot of stuff that you know if you go back to like other D twenty like tabletop role playing games, you know most games will use some of those mechanics, um, but they'll you know they kind of hide them behind the scenes. So it's really interesting that they chose a mechanic like that to highlight when you go into that Vats vision. So that's something I like about it. It kind of lends itself to that older school feel to it um so yeah I, I like it i know not everybody is on board with it but um i liked that they kept an aspect of that kind of turn-based flavor to it and you don't have to play that way you can just play it like a first person shooter if you want to yeah. too so you know it's got that flexibility um and then the skills and perks so i i played a couple hours of it um, this week, and I noticed that I was doing things differently than the first time that I played it. Now, I can't remember. There's all these different perks that you can put your points into, and as you're playing through the game, you will level up, and you'll get points, and you can spend them um, however you want to. What were some of the key areas that you would put a lot of your points in? And, and uh, this, yeah. will, this is going to tell a lot of how you played the game as opposed to how I played the game. Yeah, so for me, like remembering, especially having played the first two, and this is another thing where it's it's right out of like tabletop RPGs to have this skill system. But because of the setting versus like a fantasy setting, you ha you have the opportunity to use those skills. There's old machinery you can repair, there's yeah. computer systems you can hack, there's robots you can hack. Like there there's a you know, there's you know, locked lockers and boxes and stuff are way more, you know, present in like a, mo a more modern day setting. Um so having played the early ones with the early ones by having those abilities, that was a game back in the day where, you know, the developer was not afraid to lock things away, like whole areas or whole, um, you know, side missions away behind things that, yeah, if you don't have enough skill to unlock that door, you're not going to see that content. So from having played those games and having learned that in multiple playthroughs and everything, um, I went into these and I, like, I had a really good repair. I had a really good speech because yeah. you have to have a good speech so you can see all the, you know, funny lines that the writers came up with mm -hmm. in these interactions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I focused more on like those utility skills yeah. and then, you know, you can still do combat. You can, st you still want to put some in. These games are pretty good about giving you a decent level of XP where, you know, by the end of the game, you can kind of have a lot of things maxed out. It's not like you have to completely decide I'm only going to be a stealth character. Yeah. I'm only going to be a hacker. So you know, you can broaden out quite a bit, but starting out definitely like you want to put a lot in lock pick. You want to, you you want to be able to lock pick your way into things. You, you know, it, it's helpful to have some repair. It's helpful to have some science. It's helpful to have some speech. So you yeah. can see kind of the broader, you know, um, lines and everything that all the different characters have. And it, there are so many different skills and perks that it, it feels like you are just looking at a spreadsheet of numbers all the time. And I was watching these developer interviews and they said, 
that's you're going to be looking at these numbers all the time. So how do we make them fun? So in the menu is you have this Pip Boy on your hand, and what's the bobblehead's name? What's his character? What do you remember? What his name is? But so he, I mean that is so Pip Boy. That's Pip Boy, that, yeah. And he has all these fun animations right in front of all of your perks. So. Yes, you are going to be spending a lot of times in the menus tweaking, um, you know, what what categories you want, what perks you want. But there's an element of this dark humor and fun that the developers put in there on purpose because that they, retro futuristic kind of art design and it, it, that's that's something right out of you know that character and using him associated with all the skills and perks was right out of the earlier games and it's such a great you know it, there's there's just like a a flair or a you know an atmosphere that these games have because they've really nailed those elements sounds another big one like if you've played the early games versus like the later games they do a lot of great like audio callbacks um you know just all around you and you can go back and forth over stuff like three versus uh new vegas with who was developed doing the developing but even all of them, it's clear that they were fans, like you said, that they were fans of the earlier games and really got into recreating that feel, even despite going to like, a, you know, a very different uh, mechanic in terms of, you know, it's not a isometric view, you know, it's a more of a modern uh, RPG. Uh, but still keeping the feel of the old games. Yeah, and the atmosphere is, is fantastic. Now, did they have... What kind of music did they have in one and two? Because I just, I very similar. Had, I, I had the radio on, and I would always listen to that '40s music because it is so creepy. So they, and so they so, didn't have as much of like they didn't have like a tunable radio system like you have in the later ones, which I agree is a great thing in the later runs. It's just that's such an awesome thing to have, and then to also have, and I know you have strong feelings perhaps about. Some of the uh, radio announcers. I know. I remember when three came out. You were like, I just want to put that because mm-hmm. three dog down. was always talking bad about the lone wanderer. Well, you were giving him bad things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so they didn't have the radio. But like, um, I would, you know, at some point we're gonna have to like, I'll have to reinstall it so you can hear it, and just like the wasteland music. Yeah. That like kind of like eerie static yeah you know western guitar kind of sound when you're in the wasteland that is like right out of the early games when i first started playing three once you got through the initial start and got out of the vault which that initial start was great i thought that was a another like a probably one of the best um if you want to talk about like openings to a game mm-hmm. one of the most interesting ways to do that you know that skill build and instead of just having well okay i hit this button and put this many points here and there to actually wrap that up in the story is really interesting. But anyway, the first time you get out of the vault and you walk out into the wasteland and it's just it, that music hits you mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, my God, but that they nailed that, it. They did yeah. the same thing with Oblivion, just walking out and seeing the open world. And that's the special thing about those games is you look at a hill or you look at a building and you can go there. And you can go inside there, and there is yeah. interesting stuff to do in there, and there's interesting stuff to read in there, and there's people in there that are living their lives, and I just I think that that is so fascinating about that game. And another, so I'm I'm huge into uh, atmosphere, especially I mean that is one thing that will suck me into video games and keep me coming back. And I remember when I started playing this game, I was like, what's the deal? I was like, the 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 technology here is all from the 50s, but it's kind of treated in a way where it's supposed to look futuristic. Yeah, it's like Can a, you touch it's, upon that? It, it's so it's a retro futuristic. It's 
like the future as they saw in the 1950s. You know, there was there were nuclear power was used for everything. You had, you know, cars would be running on nuclear engines. That that was like a legit thing. There were, you know, you can go back and look at advertisements that were like, you know, Ford is looking at, you know, a nuclear fuel cell based, you know, car engine. Like, so they just basically said, okay, what if all that came true? And, you know, and then, you know, as resources start to dwindle, you know, war occurs. That's the best. Oh, I'm not even going to try and do a Ron Perlman reenactment here, but like that opening is so, you know, iconic. Um, so that's what they went with was like, what, what that, what did we think back then the future would look like? And that's what they went with. Um, and I think they nailed it. Like it, it's, it's so interesting versus just a, uh, post-apocalyptic of like modern day, I just don't think would be as interesting. So it gave them a visual flair that really follows through all the games. You see, you know, just the design elements of those early games, and then you still see it in the later games. And it, it has that sense of continuity because of it. So I want to touch upon some of my favorite moments in the game. You may have some favorite moments of yourself, but the one of the first civil or settlements that you that you run into in Fallout Three is Megaton, and oh, yeah. you go there, and it is this group of people that are trying to make the best of the situation that they are in, and you can pretty much tell what kind of a person you are, at least what kind of video game you per- person you are, compared uh, how you play this segment. So I played this game this week. And I made some of the same choices that I made eight eight years ago when I or nine years ago when I played this game for the first time. So when you're in Megaton, you meet this gentleman, and he wants to get rid of Megaton. He wants to build some sort of expressway through, or or maybe they want to build some city. But he's offering you a ton of money, and you can tell the the dude to screw off, or you can say, "I'm listening, I'm listening." So you eventually play, you build up some of your skills, you do some side missions, and you are able to arm this huge nuclear bomb that is in the center of Megaton. And you are able to, you can make a choice between blowing up a ton of people and collecting a ton of money. And that is just such a heavy morality choice that I think that's like the heaviest choice that I've ever had to make in a video game in my entire life. Oh, there's some real doozies in these games, but that is a great... Um, that's such a great, so early on too, so early like, on, right out of the gate, they give you this great gray, well, maybe that one's not so gray, you know, with the whole bombing a whole town, uh-huh. but, but this great, like moral, um, you know, consideration and, and how do you want to deal with this? And you know, that you already get the idea of the different factions, like starting to get like, you're going to have to choose sides in this game. And sometimes, you know, it may be more black and white and sometimes it's very gray. It's like there's not necessarily a, a pure good or evil way to look at it. There's a, there's a subtle racism that I noticed, too, that people hate the ghouls. Oh, yeah. And no, all they it, are is yeah. people that were deformed and survived. And they're it's it's this racist overtones that I didn't remember until I started playing this game again this week. But. Uh, with Megaton, I started playing this game this week, and I felt bad going back to Megaton because I remember because you I killed did them all last time. Uh huh. Nine years ago, the last time that I was there, I met this gentleman up on top of a tower. He pulled a, a suitcase out in front of me, and there was a big button on it. And he was like, "You do the honors," and I hit that button, and you get to see this huge mushroom cloud, and the wind shoots in your face, and they say, "Great job," and they give you a suitcase full of money. And you're trading a bunch of people's lives for caps. 
And it's just this no government, you know, Wild West feeling that that game gives you. And sure enough, that's exactly what I did when I was playing it this week. And I remember what I did the last time. I I blew up Megaton, and then I pulled out my gun, and I killed the two guys that were up there, and I took all their money and all their clothes. (laughs) So I just – that is one thing that I absolutely love about these games is just this the wild amount of freedom. I, I, I didn't have to blow up Megaton. I could have just killed them or I could have walked away or there's just so many different things that you can do and all of the characters react to your actions. Is Are there any favorite moments that you have in this game? Um, so Fallout 3 specifically? Yes, Fallout 3. So, and this is it's because it's a callback to the first one and two. There is an area, and spoiler alert, but you know, for a game that's been out for a long time now, um, there's an area called Oasis that you can find like way up north on the map. Uh, and there you actually, um, and I won't spoil the surprise entirely, but you come across uh, Harold, who is a ghoul character in the first and the second game. Um, some things have changed, but it's just this great callback to this character that, you know, again, providing that continuity in showing like, yeah, this is the same world. Like time has gone on and that might actually be. And if we talk more about some of the later ones, I, I kind of have a thing about that as well. But the idea of having this continuity and showing like, especially because they decided with these later games, at least with three and four to move them all the way over to the East coast. So yeah. other side of the country from where the original ones were set. And I feel like that was one of the change where you go from this like desert Southwest to, you know, irradiated, but still Eastern seaboard kind of landscape. Um, And in making that change, I think they did a good job of capturing again, like that design, like just the general world design of the things in the world. But also it was cool that they had a nice connection to characters from there. So it provided more continuity despite, you know, making a pretty big shift in both, you know, the mechanics and um, the setting, but still having some of that tie-in. Okay. Uh, Two years later, we would get Fallout New Vegas. Uh, This one was developed by Obsidian Entertainment and released in October 2010. Uh, The development team included developers who previously worked on Fallout and Fallout 2. Uh, It takes place four years after the events of Fallout 3, but is a standalone game in the series with no characters connected to previous games. I was so pumped for this game because I loved 3, and it it was two years later. So I just remember, like, patiently waiting for a year for it to come out, and I know that you really, really enjoyed it. But I probably played about 20 hours into it, and I just... I just lost interest. I don't know what it was. You said that the writing was sharper in this one. I, I, I thought, so they brought in more of the the writers and original developers of the first two games. Yeah. Our first two games, and if you count tactics, which really isn't, I, I don't know. There, there's, you can discuss that, but um, basically kind of having the story lines and the side quests and the character writing being kind of more from the original group. Yeah. Um, and I think like a great example of that. So in three, they started having this where you would come across random vaults uh-huh. that would have all kind of like, you know, contain self-contained storylines about like all these vaults were again, spoiler alert, were like scientific, you know, research That's experiments. That's best writing in those games. And, and the ones in new Vegas are, are I think like top of the line. Uh-huh. Some of the best ones in that yeah. series. If you want to go by just those random vault, kind of side stories are in new Vegas. Um, and I, I, I really liked, I felt like they went back kind of to the more desert Southwest setting. 
they involved, you know, they came up with some new factions. They involved like the NCR. So again, going all the way back to the, like the first quest or side quest you come across in the first game by you doing that, saving Tandy, she's a founder of the NCR. And now they they've taken over like the whole Western region of the U S by the time you're in new Vegas. And they're like a major faction there. So again, a really awesome tie in with the earlier games um, there's also some other characters that you meet from the earlier games, not from, uh, three, but from one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I just, you know, there's some really neat moments. They, they were, they were stretching the writing and they were stretching some of the tech. There's some, there's a big fight at the end at the, at the Hoover dam that depending on what faction you've chose, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. If you do the, um, the boomer faction, if you recover the B 29 bomber for them, like that's flying over, and dropping bombs and you know you can have some you know side shoot of the enclave enclave fighting for you i mean there's just some really awesome moments in that game so i really liked uh new vegas um i don't think that's like oh that's the true fallout you know writing or whatever i i, I really do like three and four too um but i really liked vegas new vegas my problem with it was is it needed another year of development time and and i i mean that's uh, i mean but that's true of like was, all those bethesda games but it was it was so much buggier than than fallout 3 was i mean to the point where it was extremely noticeable and it, it there there's a lot of bugs in fallout 3 and fallout 4 but they never took me out of the world and when I was playing New Vegas, there was so much that it was really distracting for me. And it was, I think it was the ultimate reason why I stopped playing the game. I, and I, like I said, I've, I've had this conversation with you many times, probably my loss. Hearing you say that going into those vaults and those were some of the most memorable stories. That was some of my yeah, favorite if you stuff. Like, if you like those vault stories, that, those like dark that, stories. then yeah, I would I'd give it another shot. The other thing too is if, like, if you play it now, that's all been patched. Yeah. Like that, the major bugs have been fixed. I'm I'm ha- having this discussion has made me think that I should probably go replay that one too, and because I'm a PC gamer, uh, one of the nice things about that is I can load it with texture packs Five and all kinds ports. all kinds of additional you know mods and everything that'll make it look all pretty. Sure. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I especially if you like those vault side stories, there's some real good ones, and I won't spoil any of them, but. There's some real good ones in New Vegas. So here's here's where we're gonna probably gonna get the most divisive. Uh, released in November 2015, so only two years ago, was Fallout 4. Uh, we had known that they were probably gonna take place in Boston because there kept on being all these uh, rumors uh, that they were trade that Bethesda was trademarking certain landmarks in, in Boston, and we were we were starting to get the idea that hey maybe they are working on a Fallout. It's been a while. Maybe they are working on a Fallout. And then did they announce it at E3? I mean, they, they announced it, I think it was at E3, but it was like, oh, next year. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, there was very little, and no, I, it was I like, love that. It was like three months. It wasn't next year. It was, it was, I think, I think they announced it at uh, E3 in the summer. And then it was, it was only a couple months yeah. because he was saying, also, you can get your Pip-Boy. And those sold out right away, <laughs> which you're yeah. wearing right yeah, now. Yeah, so as, as for the uh, viewers at home or, or listeners at home here. Um, I because I am a sucker and a huge fan of this. I don't normally buy like the collector's edition of video games. I think gimmicky crap like that is usually like it's just it's gonna take up space on the bookshelf. Uh, but because this is my favorite series, I do tend to get the collector's uh, editions. So I do have the Pip Boy uh, that pretty, came out with that on my choice. There, it's pretty awesome. I feel like I got my money's worth on that one. So Fallout Four takes place in the year twenty two eighty seven. 10 years after the events of Fallout 3. I absolutely love the beginning of the game. The beginning of the game, the bombs haven't fallen. 
Um, you are you're kind of you're looking at the TV and you're saying that there's uh, tensions are escalating with China, right? I think it's China. Yeah, that's kind of one of the the lead-ins into that. They explore that a little bit with some of the uh, DLC in three. In fact, you're in an idyllic uh, what, what do you call it suburb. The 1950s idyllic suburb, and then the, the alarms go off, the bombs drop. You get to watch bombs drop if if you don't run for cover. Oh yeah, I thought like that that game started out so well. It's and- another really great start. Like that they have done. Um, and if you think about like the the Oblivion or the uh, Elder Scrolls games, they've done pretty good with that too. But three and four both just and and New New Vegas just nail those openings. Yeah, but. My fundamental issue with this game was this is next gen hardware. I played this on an Xbox One, and I, I fired the game up, and it's just it, it, looking at it. So this is 2015, so it'd be seven years after the release of Fallout 3, and it's clear that they took Skyrim assets and animations, and they recycled them, and they made their game world around this. And so you played it on PC. That's why we're going to be divisive about this. But I remember taking pictures with my camera on my phone because there are moments where it's meant to be these jaw-dropping moments. There's a moment where you're on the airship and you're looking out all across dilapidated Boston. And it is an ugly game on consoles. Now, like I said, we're going to be divisive. But they just they had so much time to make this game. And and all these other all these other RPGs have been setting the bar even higher and higher. So I think that this was still a year before Witcher 3, but it was before Witcher 2. This game should have been absolutely gorgeous, and it looked like a game that would run on Xbox 360. That's not my fundamental issue with not liking the game as much. Maybe it's just my expectations were just... I mean, I I can see how that's going to certainly dampen it for you. I mean, and, and I think that there really was a big difference, PC to consoles on that one. And... You can kind of be like, well, you know, that's what the tech at the time. But the reality is, if you look at Witcher 3 on consoles versus PC, it's, it still looks way better on PC. But it still looks very good on consoles. So, I'm just saying the bar yeah. had been raised, and I didn't feel like that they had brought yeah. it. Yeah, like it, it – well, and it was probably, you know, like an early development cycle where they locked that stuff down earlier. Uh-huh. And again, they've always – Bethesda always gets that and, you know, somewhat, de- you know, deserved – um, idea that you know they release games buggy, they release games kind of janky. They always get this free pass. I almost feel like maybe because they were annoyed by that, they locked down the art and stuff a little too early. Yeah, and they didn't push it as far because they wanted stability more than all the bells and whistles. I don't know if that was it. Um, but yeah. So again, I kind of I get your point on that. I'll give you that one. But you're saying there's more to it than just that. That. You know. I just didn't find it anywhere as memorable as a location, as the the story. I did like the part where he um, he got frozen, and I believe his wife gets killed in front of him. So there were some fun moments, but I just feel like it was missing so much of the flair and some of the stuff that made Fallout Three special. I don't know. Maybe it was it was not enough time had passed. There was just something about Fallout 4. And I'm a huge fan of Bethesda games. I love Skyrim. I love Oblivion. I love Fallout 3. So when this game came out and it was a disappointment for me, it was. I remember saying it was the biggest disappointment of 2015 because I was so pumped for this game. I was like, it's going to be game of the year. I'm going to pump 100 hours into it. And you get to that first stadium, and that's like that's kind of like the first megaton. But you spend so much time in that stadium, and... 
these games were games that I would see a building and I'd go, oh, I'm going to go check out that building. I didn't do any of that stuff. And by the time I ended up finishing the campaign, I put the controller down and I was, I was done. And they introduced this whole crafting thing, which I just thought was stupid and didn't really work. Did you? So use I mean, much of the I I like that. So yeah. I think that that no no. So here's down. so here here's what I'll say. I think that with this one, they threw a lot of like that that whole uh, settlement building system is really fun to play with, but it's it's so new and kind of unconnected from the rest of the gameplay. Um, and then also kind of like the settlement management system. If you're, you know, with that group trying to run around to protect different ones or improve different ones and then build improvements, like it was an interesting way to go with it, but it kind of, it almost puts it into too many pieces. Yeah. It's not as cohesive of a whole. Um, I, I still think that there was, you know, a lot of great, story and a lot of great side quests and stuff maybe part of it was it didn't feel like there were as i I think there was there were lots of side quests but they were almost all tied to factions so Mm -hmm. like if you didn't get involved with that faction Mm -hmm. you missed all of those side quests um and then there i mean there were some you could come across like you know um you know the u the uss constitution did you find that the robots on the the ship i think so like that was really cool. I mean, I thought there were some neat ones you could come across, but it just seemed like a lot of them were tied in with the different factions. Um, I also wasn't totally in, again, talking about things not being cohesive enough and being separated. Like the whole Institute was a really interesting story point, but having it be completely separate from the rest of the map, I think like kind of left something out with that. It, it just... It felt like, okay, I'm just going to warp to this place and do some stuff there and then warp out. I, I can't name any specific instances, but we were talking about this when we were playing Fallout 3. And I, one of my biggest problems with Fallout 4 and some of the way these Bethesda games are, are being moved forward is the, the complete freedom is gone. There were characters that I wanted to kill that I couldn't kill in Fallout 4 because the, the game wouldn't let me. In Fallout 3, Three Dog was talking shit about me on the radio, and I went to D.C. and I killed him in his sleep just because I didn't want to hear him talking crap about me anymore. Then they got another DJ on who was talking crap about me, but I remember there's two different sides, and I wanted to take them both out. And it wouldn't let me. Yeah. You had to choose one. And I was like... It was a little, it was a little more focused like that. I mean, I, I think that the best thing... Well, I say this, but the overall story arcs have been great in a lot of them. I'd say four is probably the weakest for that. Yeah. For the overall main storyline is probably one of the weakest of the series. Um, but I still think the most memorable, most fun thing in those games is the side quest, yeah. the side missions, the little vault stories where you find a vault and go through that, exploring it and understanding like, Oh, what horrible shit happened here? Like, what was this experiment yeah. about? Um, and those were some of the best and memorable parts of that. And I think that more of that was hidden behind the factional stuff with four because they try to add more factional warfare and like interplay between the factions. They added the whole crafting settlement system, which was really cool. I've got that, uh, the fort like just decked out, like, you know, full on Mad Max, like terror drone. Um, but at the same time that kind of maybe distracted a little bit more from, the cohesive like idea of wandering the waste and just stumbling across this stuff. There was a lot there and you know, I, I haven't done all the DLC yet. Um, the couple I've played, I did the, uh, 
was it the mech doctor mechatron or, or whatever the robot building one i got into a little bit um I eventually i'm going to go through and, and play all those i've played the dlc for all the other games too and again some of those are great some of them are better than others um but it's those side stories yeah. almost with this series it's that lone wonder in the wilderness and maybe with boston it felt a little there was a little less wilderness and a little less of stuff that you could just find. And, it and, like, and I don't even know numerically. I, that may not even be correct. It looked like an N64 game. But it didn't feel game. like it. Well, yeah, and then on consoles maybe with the look. Let's get to our final thoughts. Sure. Fallout 3 is my favorite. Now, I, I agree that I haven't played 1 and 2, so it's not fair. But I did play 3, New Vegas, and 4. And Fallout 3 will always be just one of the best games of last generation. I love that world. I love the, the Bethesda freedom. I love the things that you can do. I, despite the problems of four, I'm excited for Fallout Five. But there's a lot of great RPG games out there now that they need to start stepping it up. Witcher Three came out, which I think Witcher Three is probably. I mean, that's the, the new. Best that's RPG. the new high bar. That like is the new high bar. Yeah. Because not only is it this huge, massive game, and I'm going to be it's strikingly gorgeous, and, it, and that is why I play video games. It's going to be a couple of years before it comes out, but Cyberpunk, which is CD CD Red's doing that as well, it. that. I mean, if they capture, you know, that same level with, as they did with uh, Witcher 3, like, and that's another setting that I love. I love that, you know, uh, cyberpunk dystopia. So I'm super excited for that. So, yeah, I, I think they need to, Bethesda really needs to bring their game on the next one um, to really live up to, to where some of the more modern ones are, are going. For, for uh, Fallout 3, what's your final score? Fallout 3? Oh, I mean... Again, man, this is hard. Like, because I'm such a fan of all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Just like nine, probably nine. I mean, but again, it's it's so hard to put a number on video games in general, but especially yeah. something where, like, I fully admit I'm biased. I'm a huge fan of these yeah. games. Fallout Three for me is a nine. It's an absolutely fantastic game. It's funny. It's violent as all hell. Um, there's hundreds of hours of gameplay in it, and it still holds up to this day. Let's. Uh, that's it for Fallout. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Malpal, I don't know if you've been reading the news, but lots of people are getting in trouble for saying inappropriate stuff at work, for doing inappropriate stuff at work. Matt Lauer, guy's been with NBC like 30 years, just got canned this week. What is it with people? They think that they can just say whatever they want to in the workplace and get away with it? Help me out here, Malpal. I, I don't understand it either. I mean, you, you hear that stuff and it's it's just surprising that like someone goes to say something or do something and doesn't just step back and be like, why? Wait, this isn't smart. This this is a bad idea. I love, I love that logic where you get caught and you go, oh, I thought that our relationship was a little bit stronger than that. And I could <laughs> ask that person how long they can have sex for. You can't say that. You can't talk like that to a worker. No, we had a very close relationship. That's way too close. That's way too close. close. That's way too close. You can't say it at the bar. You can't say it in the office. It's just stupid. Now, the good people at Morpications are sick of seeing all of these celebrities crash and burn. They're sick of seeing all these normal people crash and burn. So they've developed the Think Smart Watch. The Think Smart Watch is a smart watch that shocks you anytime you think about or say something sexual to a coworker. It's going to shock the crap out of you. So, like, you'll be at work, 
and I'll be sitting next to you and I'll be type, 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 typing on my computer and I'll be like, boy, Mount Pal, you smell pretty good. It shocks me. It's terrible. Mount Pal, look at you dressed to the nines, you hot, sexy bastard. How long can you make love? It's terrible, Mount Pal. And I'm not, that's not going to happen anymore. And I'm really, really sorry that I continuously <laughs> did that for a period of 10 years, making you feel uncomfortable. But I'm your superior. And you want to get higher in the moral or in the uh, in the afternoon yap uh, community, so you will fall in line, Mal Pal. And if I want to hit on you, and I want to say that you look, see, it keeps on shocking me, and it's keeping me from being crazy, Mal Pal. This is what a great invention. Well, you especially need far. this. I need this. You you it especially need this. It would be a you know definitely a like you know oh that's what she yeah, exactly keeping you from saying stupid stuff at work. Guess what? If it's something that kind of raises your heartbeat and you, you think to yourself, should I say that? Don't say that. But the 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 Think Smart Watch is going to shock the hell out of you every single time that you think about saying something like that. Or if you do say something like that, it's going to keep you out of hot water. So, so I assume that for, uh, you know, an item like this, probably you'd offer some kind of volume discount if, you know, on a corporate level, somebody wants to go ahead and, and get ahead of this problem. Mouth out, ninety nine ninety nine. That's it. That oh is, man, that is a cheap watch. And pal, it's gonna shock the think about the, crap the out of think you. Think about the savings in in lawsuits and hush money it's alone. Paying, it's paying for itself. And and now now you can just think all of these dirty, disgusting thoughts instead of you know having a an office building that has a lock mechanism underneath your desk desk because you are a sexual predator. Don't be a sexual predator. Just buy the watch. No fuss, no muss, $99.99, the Think Smart Watch, buy one right now. Hello and welcome back to Afternoon Yap. For our last segment of the night, I want to review Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. Wolfenstein is developed by Machine Games and published by Bethesda Softworks. The story is, it's set in alternate history 1961, America, following the Nazi victory of the Second World War. The story follows war veteran William B.J. Blaskovich and his efforts to fight against the Nazi regime in the United States. So, here's the sequel to whenever the last Wolfenstein was, long-awaited. What were some of the things that you loved about the first Wolfenstein? Why were you stoked about this? upcoming game so i really you know when they were bringing it back i gotta say i was a little skeptical oh yeah how can you not be i mean i i really i enjoyed like return to castle wolfenstein uh when they brought kind of the first time they brought it back um but you know it was at that point machine games i, I don't think i'd ever played anything that they had done they actually did the first darkness Oh, they did do the first, which darkness. is oh, okay. an excellent game. This is the second time, but we a very the... different playing game. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have, you know, uh, that almost surprises me to hear that because they're they went a very different way with the feel yeah. of the shooting and 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 the play. The, even the play. darkness was very story driven and and had a so lot that of good. that definitely makes more that makes sense though because that's the thing that really impressed me is you took this character that even in the when they brought it back the first time with return to castle wolfenstein they really didn't flesh out the character how are you gonna bring this guy how it, it was it back? was like okay now you can go and explain you know you can explore a new castle and, and it was good i, I like those games um but it was not you don't think about that up until now as being a series that has like deep characterization and like thoughtful story writing and everything 
And so that was a great thing to see. You know, the, the gameplay is kind of, I know it's kind of divisive where whether or not you like that feel where you've got to go around and gather everything. This one, the newer one, more than the first one, I think, you know, don't play it like a Call of Duty. Yeah. Don't stand at every corner trying to cut the pie and shoot, you know, headshot, whatever. No, you've got to balls out, run through, and grab everything you can, and that's really the way that they clearly designed it to be to be played. Whether you like that or not, maybe, maybe not. Honestly, this is one that I would recommend to so many people just because the story is so good. And I will also give them credit almost all of the big fights in this game, you can just run through. Uh-huh. Like, there's no penalty to, like, you don't have to stand and, like, hold on to every scrap of, you know, your life to be able to finally take down that thing. You can do that if you want, but you can also run right through it and get to the next, like, just, oh, my God, they did did they really go there, like, moment. This is a game that's just those amazing moments strung together. I, th- I feel like they owe a lot to Quentin Tarantino, like, his style of... Oh, there's, a there's story. definitely a lot of that. It doesn't play with um, narrative flow as much. It doesn't jump around time-wise as much. But it it definitely has kind of that. And I think Grindhouse is kind of a weird thing that only more recently became a thing. But but basically that feel, that um, exploitation, cinema, whatever you want to call it, feel to it. Yeah, that's definitely like very Quentin Tarantino. So they brought the morality choice back from the first one. So... Uh, in the first one, you could make a morality choice in the beginning that alters the game's entire storyline. Uh, they brought it back for this second one. So I, I killed Wyatt. Or, I mean, I saved Wyatt, I believe, and I killed Ferguson. But you can choose which – it takes place – you're you're with a set of rebels on a Nazi U-boat, correct? Yeah. So you open up – so in the last game, you had basically stole uh, the kind of Nazi super U-boat – um, as part of that game. So you kind of open with this group of rebels that you've collected now uh, over the course of uh, the first game. And the game takes place right after the events of the first one, too. Well, I mean, there's some... I think they say that there's been a couple of months where BJ has been, like, convalescing, you know, healing up. Yeah. But um, more or less from his viewpoint, yeah. It just it takes place, like, right after... Like, basically, when he regains consciousness after the end of the first game... That's when this game starts. And so for those of you out there that have never played the first one, you're going to be getting a video game that is very much a throwback to 90s 3D first-person shooters. So there's health items throughout the game, and there is a health bar. So you are constantly running around looking to regain health, looking to regain ammo. Uh, There's also a, a heavy stealth system in the game that... You can use it works okay, but it's just not the way I want to play it. Whenever I play that I, game, I, will I have say, two guns in hand yeah. and I am murdering people. I think that's really how they designed it to be played. The other thing I will say between the first one and this one, the first one stealth felt like more of a viable way to go about going through a level. This one, I don't know, and I tried. I did too. I like. I tried too. There's nothing. Again, this is like. The like bloody takedowns this time, you know, last game it was a knife, like a Hitler youth knife. In this game, it's the hatchet, the hatchet, yeah, and like it's fire boring hatchet. When you hit those guys. Oh, yeah, so those are fun to do. So I tried to like stealth through a lot to get to do a lot of that stuff, but I feel like it really wasn't set up to be able to do that to get to some of the uh, again, getting into the mechanics of it, commanders that have radios that can call reinforcements. So the idea is you want to take them out first. Um, 
I feel like in the first game, you really could sneak up to all those guys. There was like a viable stealth path. This one, it seems like there's a lot less of that. Some yeah. of them you really do need to run and gun, which is fun too. The So to get into, not to give away spoilers or anything, but one of the levels you're on basically like an underground train. And it's the first point in the game where you can pick up the shotgun. So you've got the shotgun, and now all of a sudden you're just in like a corridor shooting like uh-huh. level, and it's just it's it's awesome. It's yeah. a great feel. It's like you're just blowing away Nazis. It, it's, but it's like that sort of setup. They did a really good job, and clearly like that one. I don't, again, I don't think you could have stealthed your way through that yeah. mission, and I don't think you would want to. That wasn't what they were trying to design it to have. It was supposed to be that moment of like, oh shit, I've got a shotgun. You know yeah, what it reminds me of? It. it reminds me of the train level in GoldenEye 007. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly that. Yes. It's that like on. on funneling you yeah, through funneling a you through, character. Or and you're just like, and they just happen to give you a shotgun. Uh-huh. And you, of course. How are like, you going to get out of this? Two shotguns. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. I've got two shotguns. That's how I'm going to get. Oh, yeah. I'm going to mow through all these people. So the, there's a ton of different firearms that you can get throughout the course of the game. Uh, you can upgrade them depending on how you play the game. So I remember when I, when I was upgrading some of these weapons in this new game, I remember playing the last game and some of the the game some of the guns that you can upgrade, um, you'll have to like press left or right on the on the D pad in order to change to its like alternate fire. And yeah. I remember that I always forgot to do that. So when I was playing through this one, I was like, I'm gonna skip all of the alternate fire. And I had a lot of fun with upgrading some of these weapons. I loved the the um, rapid fire shotgun. That thing was absolutely oh, yeah. brutal. I, I thought it was really good because it, you know, it's a game that gives you kind of a you know, a, a pretty good variety of guns. But I like the fact that because it had that upgrade mechanic, and the upgrades weren't just like oh, it does more damage. It would change the way the gun worked uh-huh. and like the mechanic that you would use while using it against your enemies. So as you went through, despite, you know, I I don't know if it was like eight guns, ten guns, something like that through the game, those guns, the way you use them, the situations you use them in changed as you were going through the whole game. So it really made it found like there really was more of a variety to it. Did you dual wield a lot during the game? I always kind of forgot to. And every once in a while would there be a big boss. Oh, well, see, I got the, I got early on, I did the like main assault rifle. Uh I got the, um armor piercing variant to that yeah. and if you deal dual wield the armor piercing variant of just that mean you can just well those like big heavy guys with all yeah. the extra armor you can like headshot them really well and yeah. like just destroy them it turns those guys from being like i think the first time you face them you're like oh shit like i've got like a pea shooter against these har- armored hulk guys and then once you get that and if you're accurate enough to hit their head like you just waste those guys so my my favorite weapon was, and I believe you only get the weapon if you choose to save Wyatt at the beginning of the game, is that gas grenade launcher that you can recharge, and it shoots the the, the gas packets at enemies, and you can load them up with, like, 18 of them and just hit, uh, you know, whatever the trigger button Detonate is, and them they all, all go yeah. off at the same time, and it's just so fun and yeah, so they, visceral. Yeah, they threw more of that. that. There wasn't a ton of those in the last game. I thought that was cool that they threw that in. They threw the laser weapon in. They threw the like it was like the flat cannon version of like the shotgun, like Uh the four barrels. Like that was that was cool that they threw them in there, and they even had recharges for them. So it wasn't just like oh, I dropped this heavy guy, I'll get this gun for thirty seconds. You could actually use that going through for a while, and that was neat. That that was a again. I think a lot of people have said that like oh well, you know the combat's kind of so so, but it's worth it for the story. 
and that's kind of true. I'm going to say that the best part of this game is the story yeah. beats. It has the crazy set piece yeah. things that show up. But I, I honestly enjoyed the combat. It's different. Yeah. Don't go into it playing it like a Call of Duty yeah. or a modern shooter because that's yeah. really it's really tuned get to be chaotic. To you. Oh it's yeah, a hard oh game. yeah, you'll get worn down really quickly. Like you'll lose your health. Um, they could have worked a little bit better on making it easier to understand when you're getting hit, where it's coming yeah. from. It was a little too easy to like realize. Oh no, I'm dead. Like and yeah, yeah. And, and I had a I had some issues with some of the the save points. Because I, I found it very, very frustrating where if you were to lose a big firefight, that you would have to replay like a 10 or 15 minute mission. Yeah. And it would really pull me out of the games. And, and that's a small I, I, I like, and they didn't, they didn't really telegraph it, which I almost wish they had a little more. Does um, that extend the gameplay or why do you think they did that? Well, so here's the thing is, again, so I like the fact that you can run through a bunch of those fights. Uh-huh. Just get to the other side and yeah, I get out of there. That. And I did, too. And I like that they did that. They didn't really telegraph it. I almost wish they had made it a little more clear on some of those fights. Like, no, you can just run through if you get tired of fighting these guys. So um, I will say, so I went started to go back and do some of the side mission stuff they have. Yeah. It's like, I appreciate the fact that it's almost like they remix the level. Yeah. So, again, I'm not, like, chomping at the bit to go do more of that combat, so I don't care about it too much. I think I'm more in there for the story. But if you do like the combat, that's a cool thing that they added, where basically you can go back and, like, basically you're, like, on an assassination mission against, like, an uber commander or over commander or whatever. Um, But it goes back to the same level as you fought, but they've remixed it. Some of them pretty significantly remixed it. It reminds me of... uh, um, the Hitman, uh, Hitman that came out last year, yeah. where they would have the same map, but it would be wildly changed. Now it's like a film set or something like that, and they changed the whole flow of the level, the enemies, the characters that are in it, the different mechanics to it. Um, they definitely do that kind of same remix with that. So if you do like the combat, it's cool that they threw that in there. Did you? Um, and I, 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 I know because the way you play video games, and I've played games with you before, but. Did you read most of the notes so you can pick up postcards and letters? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was there was some really good writing in those. Yeah. Like that was they did a really good job of making that stuff worth reading. And like especially with the aspect of this game of having it be in the U.S. You know, you're not in Europe in the European theater at this point. This is you're in the homeland. And they do a really good job of through those notes kind of fleshing out that world of Nazi, you know, run America. Um, making, you know, and again, not going to get political, but making very, you know, pointed comments about things going on right now, but also just the general idea of like, yeah, if the Nazis took over the U S like kind of like, you know, man in the high tower or something like that. Okay. You know, they're going to start, you know, Oh, they, they want to go out to the ranches in the West and like live the cowboy lifestyle. Like that's going to be the big holiday spot. Like there's, and they have a whole bunch of connections to that you know, about like post postcards back and forth between these characters that you never meet. Yeah. Or maybe you gun them down cause it's a scientist in a lab or yeah. something like it's not a character who's like a significant NPC for the story, but you get these postcards back and forth where it builds these characters and how, what is their life like in this, um, you know, overrun country, uh, this occupied country. So it's, it's interesting. They, they, they went the extra mile on that, and that's really cool. They clearly you care about stuff. the world building. I, I, I know, love world I know building. that you love that stuff because I, I started reading them, and I and I, st- I probably read fifteen or twenty, and I was like, "There's just so many." 
Yeah, and I didn't like. I'm not gonna probably go back and try and find them all, but there was enough to where like even if you get the third or you know fifty percent of them that you get just if you're looking at all as you go through, it's enough to really flesh out that world. There's an astounding amount. Again, I'm like I'm a tabletop RPG guy, sure, so yeah. I really enjoy world building. I love the idea of having a setting that you want. To, to learn more about. To then, yeah, and, and to make that story. That's, for me, the fun part of tabletop RPGs is that, that like, as a group creating a story. But to do that, it's really helpful to have a really cool world where there's lots of those little details in there. So I love it when games really flesh that stuff out. Now, we'll probably uh, disagree on this, but they brought back kind of the hub world. From the first one. The first one, you were in, like, this abandoned house set up. Well, it, yeah, it was, like, kind of a hideout in the sewers yeah. in one of the... I, it was Berlin you, or Paris. It was a major city. And you could go around and talk to characters, but basically what it was was downtime in between the big missions and the firefights. And this time, it takes place on this big Nazi U-boat, and... I really didn't like it. And See, I, I, don't I, th- I kind of... I'm uh, on the other side with that. That's I, why I, I thought I they thought, did a great job of... Yeah. And again, it's the little vignettes that they put in there. It's not the stuff that they telegraph or that they make you go look at. It's stuff like um, Seth and uh, uh, the the guy with the brain damage. Yeah. Um, Max. Yeah. You can come across them playing chess, and Max like completely wipes the floor with Seth, uh-huh. and Seth just gets super pissed and flips the board and like uh-huh. walks off. And Max is just like, Matt, you know, because he just says his name over and over again, just keeps saying Mass Offs or whatever. And but it's this it's those little things. It's like this little uh-huh. vignette, but it like adds this flavor and this interesting thing. And some of those I honestly think are seeding some of the story for the next game. OK, there's a comment. So I like you, I had why it was who I'd saved. I actually replayed it once the first one once and had it um, with Fergus. I think Wyatt's the better choice, and I had heard like the acid trip stuff was all with Wyatt, so I went with that one on this game too. But uh, I think like there was a little comment that he made at one point coming out of a stupor that I think is going to totally set up one of the things that happens in the next game. And I wonder if they're doing that with Max too. So it's just they build in these tiny little things. Sometimes it's just a little character moment. Sometimes it's something that I think is almost seeding stories in the future, but mm-hmm. they just do a really good job of that. They're, they're, I, I didn't even learn until I was about four or five hours in that you have to hold down in order to pretty much tell where the next objective was. So I was spending a lot of time on these U-boat missions in between the big missions, just lost. And so I, that, I, just, that, I just really that, wanted to get back how, into the action. I can see how that would be annoying. Um you kind of have to like in between each mission, I would kind of go around and just check with every check yeah. in with everybody. And that was enough, I think to kind of see all those little yeah. vignettes. Um, but I can see how, if you were wondering too much, that would get kind of old, but yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you on that. I really did like that hub world. I think that they did a good job of recognizing that that was one of the like really special parts of the first game and continuing that with this one. So let's get into the meat and potatoes. So I will just flat out say that it took a while for the game to click for me. It took at least probably maybe a third, maybe a halfway into the game because the game starts off and you're BJ Blaskowitz. You're, you're hurt from the last time you're the first mission takes place and you're in a wheelchair. And finally, once you break free from the Nazis, you, you the first level, the first big level that you're in is a destroyed Washington, D.C. And it's just kind of it's just this huge level. There's the, the, the story really hasn't kicked in and there wasn't really anything memorable. 
and it was just it was the same gameplay from before, but it just I, I it hadn't dug its hooks into me. And fast forward a couple of levels, and you go to Roswell, New Mexico, and this is Roswell has been you know taken over by the Germans, and it is this idyllic German <laughs> that diner, idea that, that diner scene. Yeah, and the classic diner scene that they have been that, promoting of that you know, is that is definitely where that game really kicks into high gear. And that's when I fell in love with the game. I was like, "This is what I'm here for. This is what I want to see." I don't. I've seen you know uh, destroyed cities that I've run around, but like going to Roswell, New Mexico, and there's a bunch of Americans there that are either buying into the Nazi regime or they're just trying to get along with their lives without being killed. And they're, you know, they're kissing their butt and it's just, it's, it's so, it's so dark and it's so great. And that was, that was when the game started to really pick up for me. And so I did, I did have to play about four or five hours until I hit that moment. Um, I kind of want to wrap this up. The game is funny. It's the, the writing is, I laughed out loud plenty of times. So the, the, the writing is incredibly strong, but they're, they're the jokes that they are trying to they land. And I, I thought that the game was incredibly funny. There are some uh, great vehicle moments in the game. Um, and there are some unbelievable characters in the game. Uh, General Engel is one of the, probably the best villain of 2017. Oh, say, and right? they, 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 uh, they definitely, especially the first one definitely brought her into kind of the limelight. And this one really makes her the villain. And so, they really weirdly sexualized her too. Like, well, that was in the first one too. Was she it? Had, I don't she had a weird so, psychosexual yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's so dark. Again, that's that like like the Nazi exploitation film. Like, like that's like that kind of that's been like a thing in that genre. Um, so seeing that's not too surprising. But they just they play it really well. Um, the voice acting is really good. Yeah. Like I don't like uh, through the whole game. Um, you know, it's it's clearly the second act. It's, you know, they clearly had this like a trilogy kind of arc and I'm really excited because I think I know how the last one's going to end uh-huh. and it involves probably a Mecha Hitler. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, and that should be fun. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's a solid, solid game. I would highly recommend it for anybody unless you're like really anti shooter. Cause there is that aspect of it. You're going to have to do some first person shooting to get through that. Yeah. But as long as you're not like totally turned off by that, the story and like the just the great oh my god moments to it is totally worth working through. Yeah, the story is exceptional. Uh, my final thoughts: the cutscenes are cutscenes in a video game done right. And I'm not trying to talk crap about any other games out there, but I immediately thought of I played through Destiny 2 recently, and every time I would see a cutscene, it was just I don't care. It's not interesting. It's not well done. It doesn't do anything. So for the me. the cutscenes in this game or the story moments in this game are not filler. They may not. You may not think that like you you can argue about whether or not they're necessarily the way you'd want to see it go, but they go for it. This is a game where every moment where they said, "Should we soften this or should we really go for it?" They said, "Fuck yeah, we're gonna go for it." <laughs> that's sorry, fine. sorry for the lang- <laughs> sorry for the language, but like that's the strength of that. I enjoy like the passion clearly, in your voice. They clearly went to that level. Like that is that 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 was the reaction they had every time they made that consideration. That's what I need. Like I'm so tired of video games with these cutscenes that you don't care about. And I and I feel like when I was playing through this game, that was the moment that clicked where I was like, this is like I'm watching a really good 
Tarantino movie where I'm very much invested and I, and I care about this. I'm not just trying to hit square to get to the next part where I can start shooting people. Uh, excellent voice acting and story. It took me halfway to, uh, through the game to really let it click. But once it did click, man, I was completely on board. Um, I am excited for the inevitable sequel. I give it a nine. What do you give it? I'm going to probably, yeah, I'm going to say nine. I, it, the, the gameplay was maybe a little bit not quite as good as the first one, yeah. but I think the story makes up for it. Like yep. it, it's they not only, you know, continued that quality from the first one, but like I feel like they've even amped it up even more, and I'm really excited to see the the the, the third act here. Uh, that's it for Wolfenstein. That's it for the fiftieth episode of the afternoon yap. Mao pow. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for anybody that that is still here listening. I, that was so I mean, much fun. Is, I've been wanting to talk we can bullshit Fallout about, with I you mean, for so long. In this set, yeah, I can bullshit <laughs> about Fallout forever. Yeah. Like that, this, it's my all-time favorite series. I think there's so many interesting aspects of it, and then also tossing Wolfenstein on there. I mean, yeah. that's another just great game this year. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me, and I, I always like to come and uh, uh, spend some time talking on the app. Our next episode, we will be reviewing the new Assassin's Creed game, Origins. Uh, you can check out our website, www.theafternoonyap.com. Uh, email us at afternoonyap at gmail.com. And as always, follow us on Twitter at afternoon underscore yap. Pow, it's Saturday. We got the whole day ahead of us. Let's go have some fun. Let's play a lot more video games. Buddy, I will see you soon. Bye. See ya. <laughs>